This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less. It's Ray Harkins, your host, ever present, hanging out here on the internet, talking to you about independent music. Actually not talking to you, talking to another person who's involved with this beautiful music scene that we call home. And uh, hopefully uh, getting some interesting nuggets and insights and uh, where they're coming from, you know, because uh, all of us come from somewhere, right? So, yeah, I want to, well, first of all, let's get some feedback on the bonus episode that I posted. Um, I got a lot of people either texting or uh, emailing me in regards to the bonus episode. Uh, They really appreciated uh, my contributions to that conversation, but were also, um, you know, maybe a little disappointed at the way that the questions were posed to me. And, uh, you know, I'll kind of wrap it up like this. The bad Christian guys, like they're friends of mine and I know what they're coming from a good place and they're coming from the place of, you know, trying to, uh, to come at these issues with a, a, uh, not a, not a fresh take, but basically, uh, you know, being ignorant to this stuff. And so, uh, that's kind of what they were doing. And, um, you know, they were asking maybe, you know, some silly and or provocative questions, but, you know, that's kind of the tenor of the show. But um, yeah, I just wanted to put that out there that, uh, you know, I, I wasn't bothered by any of the questions. People, some people were concerned, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they were asking this. But it was totally fine. So if you have no idea what I'm talking about, that's fine. Dive back to the last episode, the bonus episode. But anyways, uh, that's that. But y- you didn't come here for this. You came here for the guest this week, who is Mike Herrera. And he plays in the band MXPX. He also hosts his own podcast called the Mike Herrera Hour. And, um, yeah, we, he's also part of the Jabberjaw media network. And, uh, I just, he's always, he's existed in my ecosystem for quite some time, but I was like, you know what, let's pull him down, get him on the show, talk to him because, uh, yeah, I just, <laughs> I have these very distinct memories of, uh, people that worked with them at the time in which they were, you know, absolutely exploding and kind of the, uh, the conflict that I personally saw within, their growth, and then obviously them being a religious band, a Christian band, and then all of the uh, kind of, you know, frankly, trappings that they felt in regards to that. So I just, I had to put them on the spot, and he was great with that. So thank you very much, Mike. And uh, what else do I got to tell you? I got to tell you about noecho.net, right? How about that website? Hopefully you're visiting it on a regular basis now. I love that site. I love what they do. Uh, great. I, I particularly like, I want to focus on this, their photography spotlight. And because I think a lot of people, and frankly, I've done this where I've had maybe, you know, two or three different photographers on this show, but uh, people that, you know, capture these images that are frankly so important within the context of independent music. And now in these days, day and ages of social media, where it's like, you know, Instagram, you can become extremely well known as a photographer. But anyways, I just love their photographer spotlight because uh, it, you know, shows the people that are capturing these images in, uh, you know, a new light or a light at all, because a lot of the times people have no idea, um, who these, these people are behind the lens. So I just love that, but go visit noecho.net. Great partners of ours. I love what they do. And, uh, yeah, that's that. Um, what else I gotta tell you? Oh yeah. Before, uh, I mean, usually I announce this at the very tail end of the show in the outro, but next week's episode is different. It's actually one of the buried treasures episodes that, uh, For those of you that listen to a very regular basis, I've done one or two of these shows in the past. Um, But uh, yeah, next week, uh, 
frankly, it was such a rad conversation that I had with my friend Joey that I'm planning on releasing it as a full-fledged, like, you know, non-bonus episode. Not like it makes any real difference that I'm calling it a bonus episode. But anyways, that's what you're getting next week. It won't be the traditional, you know, one-on-one interview sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, I think that's all I got for you. But uh, now here's Mr. Mike Herrera, us just chopping it up, hanging out over Skype. It was very fun. So here's Mike, and I will talk to you after the show. Oh, wait. Ha. How about me forgetting something, right? So uh, I play in a band. <laughs> I play in a band called Taken, and uh, we have just announced some shows in December. We're playing up in Canada. Uh, we're playing on December 8th in Toronto, and then we're also playing on December 10th in Montreal, and I can't wait for those. So if you are up in that area, you should uh, come hang out. It'll be a lot of fun, right? So yeah, anyways, I forgot to plug that. Sometimes I'm not that self-serving in regards to my own my own things outside of the context of the podcast. But um, yeah, so anyways, here's my career. I'll talk to you. I mean, we're, you know, you're, you're a few years older than me. And, uh, I mean, technically like when you're, you know, three to four years older than a person, it's like different generations in, in, uh, in the music world as it were. But yeah, for sure. Being from Southern California, it was like, you know, solid state and tooth and nail were huge. You know, it was just one of those things where it's like, as I started to discover music, it was like, oh yeah, like there's this whole thing that, you know, is a real, uh, inspiring thing inspiring label where it's like oh wow they put out pop punk and they can also put out crazy hardcore like that's cool um but you guys like mxpx in general was just like the epitome of a band that was just like oh dude if there's a success story tied to tooth and nail like mxpx is it like it just always seemed like you know you guys were already completely on the rise and you know being more than just like you know a slick shoes or goatee hook or any one of those bands um you know did it did it feel like at a certain point that you know you had ever i guess like completely grown past that to where you look back at you know the tooth and nail years as being like man that seems like so long ago you know like i i just i'm just curious about the perspective on that but it does seem like a long a long ago it really does but um it's interesting you know the success story and thinking back to our arc or our path and it was very very much like kind of like one of those fairy tale things where you know you you meet some guy that's like a producer that's Aaron Sprinkle um he introduces you to a record label head that's Brandon Ebel and they're super nice they they want to make you big stars they they give you no guarantees but it just seems like everything's going your way right so i mean that's kind of like what it, what seemed to to happen to us at the same time, I mean, we were working hard from day one. I mean, we were never not. We practiced every day before our first show, July 6th, 1992. We practiced every day for a week before that, and I lost my voice for our first show because I was, I was trying so hard to get the band ready, and I just didn't realize, oh, you've never sang this much in your life. You know? right. so, so it was like, oh, yeah, there's like these mechanical things you know that are part of life that that are that if it's, if your craft is going to be singing and playing, you have to like pay attention to. I mean, there's this it's constantly back to the success story of it. You know, we were just always working, and everything happened seemingly fast, mm-hmm. but um, 
it's because I'm looking back on it, you know, and everything's kind of a blur. Um, everything happened, I think, in the in the, the time it should have, you know, back in the day, getting signed. Um, we were we were still pretty new. We had like probably twenty to thirty songs in our in our lifetime, um, which nowadays is probably. I mean, I don't know if that's a lot or a little for, right. for bands today, but we, you know, we had two tapes worth. Like I would just say, like cassette album demos is what we kind of put together back in the day and we had that ready to go two different ones but um it was a trip man like getting to getting to meet this this record label guy that comes over he's from california which is really cool right and he was he he worked as a dj for a college station which we thought was cool too you know it was just like it was our own little mini mini sort of like getting doused in the lights of show business <laughs> <laughs> right well and i'm but, sure yeah and i'm yeah. sure i mean yeah. i'm sure too it's one of those things where you know the options were probably limited for you guys to choose from like i mean were you were you out there like you know trying to get other labels like to pay attention to you guys or was it one of those things like this literally was kind of the first opportunity that presented itself well great question it was the first opportunity that presented itself and i think the reason why we didn't try was because Tom Wisniewski uh, was not our original guitar player, but he's our guitar player now. And he uh, was in bands playing drums. Um, and they would submit, like every band he was in submitted to, like Epitaph and Fat Records and Lookout Records. And he would get this, re- he got a rejection letter from Fat Records for his band, uh, Evolution of Man. So like the, the logo on their tape was like basically, you know, monkeys growing up into them as a band or something like that anyway so uh you know i read this rejection letter and it was a form letter it was just like thanks for sending in your demo blah 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 blah. and then there would be like one you suck two you're pretty good but you're not ready yeah three you're amazing we're signing you so like they would just like circle one you know and then that's your answer (laughs) totally And, and so like after reading tom's band's you know, rejection letters. I wasn't really, I wasn't really too, <laughs> I wasn't rushing into like sending my demos out to labels. Um, but I kind of think that would have happened. It's just that um, two years in, two years into the band, when, you know, we had no album out, people didn't really do albums by themselves anyway back then. Um, we weren't really thinking about getting signed. Right. We were just still, we were honestly thinking about doing better shows and, and just growing our audience. Right. But uh, that presented itself and, and it started out as a seven inch. He was like, let's do a seven inch. I'll put it out on vinyl. We're like, what's a seven inch? You know, yeah. I'm <laughs> kidding. I, I knew what a seven inch was, but, right. um, <laughs> but that's the thing is like a lot of kids didn't back then. And, uh, but being in the punk scene, I grew up, grew up listening to, I mean, I, would, I wouldn't say grew up. I, I started listening to punk rock in junior high. Uh, Descendants, Black Flag, Henry Rollins, um, even No Effects, Rancid. Got into them a couple of years before MXPX started. And then uh, it, all, it all went crazy from there. But um, it started out as a 7-inch, and then as soon as he heard the four songs, he's like, let's just do an album. It should have been a red flag to like negotiate a better contract at that point. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, but I mean, you're you're at that point, you know, you're you're children, you're you know, whatever, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen years old. It's like you, you know, yeah. you know all you're do, 
all you get excited about is the fact that someone else cares deeply enough about your band to like pay a couple thousand dollars to record. You're like, what are you talking about? I don't have to pay this myself. That's insane. Yeah, right, right. And yeah, and our first recording, uh, our first studio recording was done by Aaron Sprinkle for that four four song seven inch. I think we actually did five songs, four made it. But um, the uh, thing is, is like we were just blown away by the process, by how good everything sounded compared to our garage demos. So little did we know, like we got poking at your back and we thought it sounded amazing. Uh, you know, a couple years later, we kind of realized, okay, it's not so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Like, after after paying attention to other records, you're like, oh, wait a minute. That was just okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a stretch. Okay is a stretch. But, uh, right. you know, it's you know we learned a lot, and, and we were learning as we went. And we didn't have the Internet. We didn't have YouTube. I mean, that's no excuse, but um, we, we literally had to learn – from other people and if those people weren't around like a lot of times they weren't because we were in Bremerton, Washington um, we would just kind of figure it out on our own so yeah. once we started touring though we, we picked up a lot of great tips from from the touring bands um, whether it was Warp Tour we started in 97 with Warp Tour but we've toured with No Doubt in 97 we toured with Face to Face Dancehall Crashers Real Big Fish uh, you know some of the bands that are some of the bands are still around um and and that sort of taught us you know okay let's start paying attention to what they're doing what they're how they set up you know their stage how their their crew is setting up and and that was an eye-opener but then you go back to the studio you're not in the studio with other bands most of the time right so then it becomes okay whoever's producing the record is going to be who you've learned from and um if you'll notice on life in general that was produced by Steve Kravak, and I would say he taught us really how to play our instruments. Right. Like, the real way. It's like, okay, you can learn how to golf by yourself. You can learn how to box by yourself, but when you get a trainer, you're going to have to relearn everything. That was us doing life in general. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you have because you have an adult in the room being like, hey, guys, like you can do that a little better. You're like, oh, yeah, you're right. We can. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Yes, the technology is is here. Right. Like I mean, we didn't realize. Okay, on Poconatcha, on Teenage Politics, it was pretty much a one take, unless I completely like dropped the verse or something on the vocal. If I got through it, that's that was it. All right, we're good. So yeah. it was an eye opener for sure. Yeah, absolutely. This is something I always find interesting too, where it's like you know when uh, you know people like yourself have obviously played in a band over a long period of time like was mxpx ostensibly your first band or did you have other things that you did prior to that mxpx was my very first band which is it, it was it's so funny like i because it's like you know usually people have that experience of you know playing in a terrible band first but like you, <laughs> you, you got to play in you know arguably like a terrible band from the inception of MXPX and then obviously grew up and got better over time. Like, you know, you had to do that all yes. in public. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, 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 and it's something that we obviously admit to. We've learned to play our instruments by touring, by doing, you know, records with producers. And, um, that's how I also learned how to produce records and how I learned how to record and engineer. It's cause I now I have a studio up here. So it's like, geez, like everything, you know, 
we really do learn by watching and we learn by doing. And if that's not something for me to look back on and go, okay, what am I doing in my life now that I've been successful at? How did I get here? And it's all been from watching and doing. It has not ever been from schooling. Um, not to say schooling is not something you need because I'm sure I've, I, I learned, you know, I, I remember little bits of history from school and I learned how to like dot my, my, you know, sentences and all that. But yeah, it's just, it's interesting. And, and it's more so now that we have the internet because you can find somebody that you're really into their work and which is what all musicians and all artists do is we, we get inspired. We get inspired by other artists. We get inspired by the things we see, whether or not they piss us off. That's in the, you know, a whole nother kind of inspiration. But, um, we just watch and we try to do our best impression, but then it comes out colored by, you know, our own abilities or disabilities, whatever it is. Um, and then when people hear that, maybe it's colored just enough to where they didn't like that other thing, but they really like this. And you just have to find your audience, but you're always inspired by something, inspired by other artists. And MXPX is definitely no different. The Ramones, like I was saying, um, uh, Black Flag, Descendants, no effects. But we don't sound anything like those bands, really, if you know punk rock. Right. <clears throat> yeah, I just, I, I find it, I mean, the reason that I, you know, asked the question, like, it being your first band is because, yeah, like I said, there there's this, you know, usually people have one or two terrible, you know, like punk or hardcore bands, and it's like, oh yeah, we were just trying to rip off, you know, band A or B, and then you know that's usually left in the background as you know maybe something that's more serious starts to happen, you know, where you, like serious, I use that in air quotes, like actually touring, you know, putting out records and stuff. But it's I always like you know, I, same discussion I have with like you know Davey from AFI. It's like you know they are a prime example of a band that's evolved over time and sounds like nothing like what they used to, and they had to do their musical experimentation in the public eye, in front of everybody, being like, hey, this is what we're doing now. Can you follow it? <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. Um, mm. The, uh, you know, so, I mean, clearly you're focusing on yourself now. You know, you were born and raised in Bremerton. You had three siblings. Um, you know, what, like, just your your the impression that I get of you just, you know, watching you play and, you know, whatever, existing in the same rooms for, for many years is like, you've always seemed like a real, I guess, you know, easygoing guy in the sense of, um, you know, you, you would strike me as definitely being a California dude as far as like, yeah, pretty chill, you know, easygoing. Um, mm-hmm. Is that kind of how you always were or am I completely off base? <laughs> no, I think, I think you're right. I think I'm pretty chill and especially... In a peer-to-peer situation, I'm pretty chill. I'm not, I'm not usually tr- taking over the conversation or always having to tell a story. Um, I, I definitely feel like I put that on a little more when I'm on stage. You know, of course, I, you know, trying to perform and do a show that people should be entertained by. So I guess that's that's the difference there. But I, yeah, I feel I've always felt this inner struggle of two parts of me you know the the guy that wants to freak out and be super aggressive and and get everything i want but that's i think a smaller part of me (laughs) and then the bigger part of me is the chill guy that you see most of the time and a lot of people uh, especially in in the industry they 
they see me as a guy that they can get a yes out of very easily because I'm always down to like try new things. I'm always down to like help people out. Um, and a lot of times I feel like I've, I've, I've made the wrong decision because of that. Like, oh man, I shouldn't have said yes to that or this or that. But ultimately that's my personality is to be really easygoing and to try to try to like please everyone in a way. I know that's ne- never a good thing, right? But <laughs> sure. Do you, and like, where, 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 where did you stack up in regards to your siblings? Are you the oldest, youngest, middle? I'm the middle. Uh, okay. So I'm the, o- the only boy in the middle. Older sister uh, was into, she's a little bit more of the hip, like if any one of us is a hippie, she's probably a hippie. She lives in Walla Walla, Washington, wine country. So um, <clears throat> she's, she's done well, but she's, you know, when she, we were growing up, she was into new wave and punk, a little bit of punk, but just because it spilled into punk from like new order and um, all those types of like kind of new wave bands and stuff. But also my cousin kind of got me into punk rock, but my younger sister, she was always just a younger sister to me, like um, five years apart. We, we didn't really hang out. She was just there to annoy me. <laughs> 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 and, and I'm sure yeah, she hate you know hated me for years and years because I was always taking up all the all the capital you know the time and the energy right. from my parents because of the band was was you know or still taking up a ton of time you know my parents are always involved when when I ask them to be in things so yeah it's got to be hard on on a sibling luckily for my older sister she was already kind of done and out of the house pretty early so. Right. She doesn't, she doesn't hate me. <laughs> well, I mean, to, to your point, I mean, you know, the middle child is usually the person who's maybe trying to, uh, you know, bridge the gap between, uh, you know, maybe the oldest and the youngest from fighting with one another and that sort of stuff. So maybe that's where your, your sort of people-pleasing attitude comes from. Yeah, very true. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I, haven't psych- I haven't psychoanalyzed myself in a while. So yeah, yeah. it's like as I grow older, I, I definitely um, – I'm trying to chill out more, um, and I'm trying to be less um, less opinionated and less um, sure of myself. <laughs> and and I don't mean I don't mean confidence. <laughs> I mean like you just never know what's true and what's not. And and I'm not trying to make a play on like fake news or anything. It's just aside from that, I just feel like okay. When I was younger, I wrote a lot of songs that were very very sure of whatever opinion I was talking about. And now I don't necessarily believe that. So I'm thinking, okay, maybe I should not be so adamant about things that are like, okay, this is a table. Sure. I'm not going to argue that, but metaphysical things, existential things, you know, that sort of thing. Um, The bigger questions in life. I, I guess I'm a little less sure of myself. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing for me. Hey, pardon the interruption, but I have to tell you about this awesome, awesome thing called HelloFresh. So, you know, you've probably heard of the concept of food being delivered to you, and you prepare said thing for you and your significant other, and then you eat it, and you're like, wow, that's really good. This is far and above the best service that I have uh, personally consumed, and it's unbelievable, because what they do is they create new delicious recipes with step-by-step instructions with pictures 
designed to take around 30 minutes or less so that everyone from myself, who is a complete cooking novice, to pro cooks like my wife will be able to make and give to you. And you're like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. And what's even cooler is the fact that they give you stuff that isn't, uh, you know, part of most people's kind of normal cuisine. Like they may give you like, you know, tacos, but then they would have like a cool spicy tofu thing. Um, or, you know, they just, they, they twist it about to get you to sample different things, which is so exciting because, uh, you know, you might find your new favorite vegetable, you might find your new favorite dish in general, and they just, they, they challenge you in the best way possible. And they source the freshest ingredients measured to the exact quantities needed. So basically there's no food waste. It's amazing. You can hear my dogs whining in the background because they, they absolutely love this food. (laughs) Just kidding. But regardless, HelloFresh is the real deal. And what I want to give you, this thing's less than $10 a meal, but I'm also going to give you money off as well. So you can go to HelloFresh.com and use the unique promo code WORDS30 for $30 off your first week of HelloFresh. So go to HelloFresh.com, enter WORDS30, and then you get your shipment, but you get $30 off that. That's basically me giving you probably two three free, two to three free meals. It's unbelievable. So I love HelloFresh, and you should as well. And if you've been like hearing other people talking about this thing, dive in. Try it out because they have so many varieties of foods. They have, you know, vegan vegetarian stuff. They got, uh, you know, obviously your, your omnivore meat eater stuff. So they got everything for any palate whatsoever. HelloFresh.com. Use the promo code WORDS30 and you will enjoy some food. $30 off. Boom. All right. Now back to the show. This is something I was going to bring up later and I, I find so, um, you know, I, I don't know if I call it interesting or funny or whatever. I just find it so, um, you know, no matter what, people are always going to ask you about your spirituality. People are just going to be like, so, so Mike, you're Christian, right? Or no, you're not right now. And it's like, I find it, you know, that, that those conversations so, um, you know, reductive in many ways, just because it's like, dude, you know, what, what I was, you know, back then, like where I am now, like those could be two completely different things, but I like what you're expressing as far as like, you know, the older you get, the more kind of, you know, introspective you get, you start to think about, I mean, not only your own mortality, but then you just start to think of like, oh yeah, what is it that I actually do believe? Cause maybe this certain area of my life I've never even spent time with, you know, just beyond like the basic five minutes of thought you've put into something, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And it, it's interesting because do people really sit down and think these days? I, I would say most people don't. Um, unless they've already kind of trained themselves to do that. And I don't even mean meditation. That's a whole other thing. But like presenting yourself, okay, I have a problem. Let's solve it. How do you do that? You sit down in one spot and like don't look at your phone. Just think or take a walk or whatever. So like for me, I don't do that as much as I want to, but I definitely realize that helps, you know. And when I'm talking, you know, I think about like new songs. I think about new albums. I think about what, what should I really do? You know, like what should I, I go back and forth from the idea of, should I just write a record uh, and not worry about planning it out? You know, just write whatever comes out or should I really, really uh, kind of pre-plan a song like this, a song like this. So, these things have to be decided upon or else nothing ever gets done, right? And, and what you're kind of saying is on a deeper level when you're 
when you're spiritual or not spiritual or you should know why and you should know what you believe but it's so hard in the society to the society i guess probably just because we're we're being inundated with ads constantly and new posts and new twitter feed you know twitter feeds and instagram and all that but really um nothing gets done nothing truly that matters gets done sure you can send out another post and let people know about the show and the podcast is up and this and that, but like really getting something done for yourself doesn't happen unless you sit down and decide and make choices and present yourself with the problems that you have and what what you're going to do. It's, it's, it's rough, right? It's like, yeah, who has, who has time for this? And what is that for you? I, I don't know. Like for me, I've, I've come to the conclusion, you know, that is religion wasn't helping my life. You know, not in the same way that it does a lot of people. Um, maybe it's helping my life with the band because a lot of people that are religious or that, that uh, consider themselves Christians really are into uh, positive lyrics, positive clean music. They're in MXPX because we started out on Tooth and Nail or one of a dozen reasons, right? Um, but then we have just as many fans that are just into good music and don't care and don't have any thoughts on God or whether he's real or not. Um, so I, I'm constantly talking to both types of people, right? Um, and these people are just, in, they're individuals and they all have little, little different sort of nuances of why they think the way they think. So as you can imagine, me going through, you know, there are early years known as a quote-unquote Christian punk band or, you know, we were on To The No Records, all that, playing in churches. I grew up going to church. So, I mean, it wasn't something that was foreign to me, but I also was the type of guy that listened to all types of music, punk rock. I didn't listen to religious music. I didn't listen to other, like, like the big, uh, I guess, evangelical or Christian-type acts of the day i didn't listen to that stuff so all i cared about was getting into you know getting into shows and getting into the pit going skateboarding like i was just a kid you know and then i just my parents happened to be hippie christians like born agains took me to church had that going on in my life um but that's not really like where i'm at now i mean i'm just like a guy that really loves what i do um i understand there's there's a a lot of people that believe with their whole heart that there's a God, and I'm not saying there isn't, but straight up, I just realized not just one day, it was just a long process that that wasn't really something that I, that I needed. And if it was something that I needed and I, and I took a break from it, then I would know. And I, and, I, and I think the important thing is not to lie to yourself and not to lie to other people just to make money. Oh yeah, no, it's, that's incredible. I mean, I appreciate you walking me through your train of thought because uh, you know the. I do think there is this. Uh, uh, I mean, honestly, like I mean, both both you and I, we have, we have many mutual friends, but one of the mutual friends is Roy Culver, which I know you worked with a little bit at Tooth and Nail and stuff like that. And you know he, um, you know he always related these you know these random stories to me in regards to, and actually one specifically about you guys, not so much like about you as individuals, but like you know Tooth and Nail will get battered by people you know this is 
like right at the advent of the internet so maybe people weren't emailing but they were like literally mailing letters being like i i think mxpx isn't a christian band because i saw the lead singer uh spit on stage and it was like <laughs> i mean i mean i'm sure you have anecdotal yeah. stories of people being like oh yeah i used to like mxpx but you know like you know i i saw them like brush up against a female shoulder in the wrong way and like all of a sudden they're you know you're you're the devil or the antichrist and it's like i i can't even I can't even imagine living in that world for as long as you did without getting you know incredibly frustrated by many aspects of it yeah you you hit the nail on the head it was hugely frustrating it was I mean, as kids, we wanted to rebel against things that were injustices to us. You know, that, that we, of course, in our small suburban bubble, you know, living in, in a sort of smaller town um, outside of Seattle, you know, we have a somewhat limited worldview, you know, before the Internet was big. Um, but the things that piss you off are what you want to sing about. And when people treat you like shit constantly when you're on tour... And you're like, okay, those are Christians, and they're treating us like shit. Why? Oh, because we're not doing the exact thing that they want us to do. Well, fuck you. We're not going to do anything you want us to do. See you later. You know, that's our attitude, and that's anybody's attitude, especially when you're a little punk kid, and you, you're trying to get your aggression out by writing aggressive little skate punk songs. You know, you're just giving us material at that point. Um, but... So in some ways, it's, maybe it's a good thing. Maybe they like helped us. <laughs> Never thought of it that way. <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, because I do think there's something that's really important that I think many people, you know, don't consider when I mean, especially if it's coming from a philosophical or religious standpoint, where it's like, you know, you see so many people habitually doing something, whether it's going to church, whether it's like, you know, not you know participating in a certain activity, whatever it is. It's like you know, your parents raise you a certain way. That's kind of what you do. But the most important moment is when you actually make that decision for yourself. And I think a lot of people, you know, the people that were probably like, oh, yeah, you know, Mike Herrera spits on stage, so he's not Christian. Those people, like, literally have never questioned their own internal beliefs before. And so it's like they have to outwardly project on other people being like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this person did this thing. And it's like, have you even, like, do, what do you actually believe? Like, yeah, you could quote Bible verses or, you know, use facts or whatever it is that you believe, but, like, I don't. I don't feel like you've even arrived at the point where I think that most people should. Like you mentioned before, you're actually questioning what you believe. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I guarantee you, the internet is, you know, the worst thing that's ever happened to religion and organized religion, I guess, um, just because people can finally like get out there. Like, why do you think um, Orthodox Jews aren't allowed to get online? They have a certain they have an actual separate internet just for Orthodox Jews. Uh, I listened to a whole podcast about it. It was fascinating. It, I think it was Radio Lab or something. And they get excommunicated. Um, I mean, it's like, it's nuts. I mean, there's, there's a bunch of more hardcore religions, you know, obviously more hardcore than like a Christianity kind of thing. But it, it's knowledge is power. And knowledge is something that I think our government doesn't want us to have. Um, I, I think in some ways schools don't even want us to have all the knowledge, right? They just want to teach you this, this, and this. So it, it's nuts. And I'm, in some ways, I, I would say I'm, like I said, I'm, like you said, I'm chill. Like, I'm not, like, constantly trying to, like, uh, 
tur- turn over the powers that be and like organize protests. Like I'm not, I guess I'm not that uh, outspoken about things, but I do have have those sort of like uh, anti-establishment streak. You know, I have that streak in me. I have the the if you're trying to control me, that's the worst thing that you can do because I'm just going to in spite walk the other way. Um, people just in general don't like to be controlled and they don't like to be held down. You know, when you help hold your dog down, what happens? You know, it's usually your dog will squirm until it, he's completely broken and, and will do whatever you say, you know, like humans don't like that. And, and I feel like that's just, it's the, it's in all of us, right? It's in all of us yet over and over and over. You feel it. I feel like these, the power, you know, whoever's in power in the power structure, the, the governments, religions, um, even big corporations now, obviously, now that they're considered people and can vote with their money, um, they're just creating a, a world that's terrible for, for the individual. Um, I don't know. I'm not trying to paint a doomsday scenario or anything because life is great, and right. especially in, in punk rock and in music, there's a lot of great things happening. So, But it's always happening, and, and it always will. So it's just, unfortunately... You know, there's going to be people that will be hurt by that at the forefront of those movements, um, and people that are resistant at the forefront of those movements are going to be the people that pay really the the ultimate price. But um, it's in all of us. So I think that's a, a huge reason why religion does not want you to know things. They don't want you to get online. They don't want to, to <laughs> read. Aside from what their book says, you know, they don't want you to read other things. But it's pretty crazy. Yuri Ruli, the drummer of MXPX, he uh, reads all the time, and he reads all these historical books, and and he knows a ton about religion. And he, he goes to church, but he doesn't practice the actual religion right. anymore. He, so he's like me, he, where he's kind of just, nah, I'm good. But unlike me, he still interacts with uh, the community like the church community yeah because he likes the people that he hangs out with there so it's like okay i I get that right that makes sense to me kind of doesn't make sense in some ways but like right isn't there something kind of kind of freeing about going somewhere where you don't actually believe the hype and so it's just purely about talking to people and seeing how they tick and and having a place to sort of I don't know. Pass around ideas, right? Well, it's, you, you wouldn't you wouldn't think church would be a place for that, but it could be. No, no. Well, dude, the right one. I mean, honestly, I mean, it, it could be the same experience that a person has in going to a show. Maybe they don't understand the music, don't like the music, or whatever, but they get the the feeling of community that you know so many people look for outside of the context of you know because so many people just have you know normal jobs, they work, and maybe they have a few friends there, and then they go home, and you know where do people build community? It's like. You know, I, I mean, I can't, I'm, I'm sure you're as thankful as I am where, you know, I have this huge community of music people that like, you know, you, like you and I didn't need to do the whole weird, like get to know each other. It's like, we just like, oh yeah, we're in the same world. Like, of course, of course we'll be easy to talk to, you know, but whereas like, yeah. most other normal people probably, you know, it's like going up to a person at a bar. Like that sounds terrifying just to be like, hey, hey human being. <laughs> Hi. It's like, wow. So I, I can see where the the appeal is from just like yeah i like the people that are contained under this building (laughs) 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I don't know. It's just life is weird. I mean, people, there's no, I mean, people are all kind of similar, but yet, yet everybody kind of just like, really? You're into that? Like, I would never would have guessed. Yeah. <laughs> people <laughs> are surprising. Totally. Sim- similar yet surprising. Yeah. Um, totally. Yeah. So I threw Yuri under the bus a little bit, but that's all right. He's, no, he's, he's, pretty, he's, he's re- fuck. yeah, he's, re- he's resilient. You're fine. Um, yeah. <laughs> the, the, um, you know, something I always find, uh, or I, I observe from a distance in regards to, you know, bands that, you know, have ostensibly, uh, you know, just grown so large because, you know, when you guys were, um, you know, killing it as far as like, you know, hundreds of thousands of records from like a commercial success standpoint, you know, when you were kind of in the middle of that and you were, you know, you were reacting to all these things that were happening to you and you were involved in the sense of like, you know, the business decisions and all that sort of stuff. Were there ever moments that you felt like it was like, dude, this is like way too, like not way too big where it's like, I can't handle it, but like I am not recognizing a lot of these decisions we're making or these tours we're going on and like not from a regret standpoint but just like dude this is so big I don't even know what to do with it I would say I would say I probably I probably did what most humans do is when things are too big you block it out in a lot of ways if it's just a blur um, and that's basically how I feel about most of my past um, from like 2010 and beyond. So like, like I, I remember the last decade and that's about it. So it's like, as, as the years go, it's harder and harder to remember. Of course, when I talk to people or I talk, especially with the guys, you know, Yuri, Tom, they remember some of the details much better than I do. And I wonder why that is. I wonder if they just had, I, I think because I was, you know, the band guy, the band leader, the singer, writing the songs, I was always working. And so I didn't really have as much or didn't take as much time to really sit down, take it all in, go, okay, am I on the right track here? Am I letting people influence me in ways I shouldn't? Am I good? I mean, I I never really did those evaluations that you should do especially when things are going really well like this. Uh, And and so it just kind of blurred through. Like, there's always people that I can't remember their names that are important to, you know, this big tour that we did or this or that. Like, I I just didn't take the time to really get to know, like, this promoter or that guy, that, you know, that DJ. Um, Where I try to at least make a note of it these days and I think that's the big difference and I it all comes down to being a little bit more mature unfortunately I, I'm gonna say I'm gonna have to say that's probably why yeah but also because like what you said maybe it was so big and happening um, so fast that it was hard to really see it and another thing about the past is unless you had a big budget which we never really did. You don't have a photographer. You don't have a videographer. And even nowadays, even though it's so much easier now, you can just use your cell phone, right? Even nowadays, people don't always have a photo or a video person, but it's way more than you used to see. And bands that are much smaller than we are have that. So a lot of it just has to do with we didn't document 
everything like we should, like we I wish we would have it wasn't done back then right yeah. to the extent to the extent that it is now and so you lose a lot of detail you lose a lot of those the big picture you can't look back and go wow that was a big crowd i didn't realize it at the time well now i can look at the video from japan a couple months ago and go damn that was a big crowd <laughs> right and it was just a month ago you know like so it's yeah that's that's a interesting interesting little thought process though looking into like was the moment too big yeah well a lot of moments are too big like you know a car wreck is is probably maybe it's the wrong way to describe it as too big but it's something that's happening and you're shocked by it and so you kind of you lose some deep or sometimes what happens is everything goes slow motion but i don't think that that can really happen with something like over a, a decade or, or more. <laughs> yeah, right. That would be, be kind of awesome, but <laughs> <laughs> right. I just I just pretty much blurred out ten years and whatever. I don't know. That's it. it kind of happened. Longtime listeners of this program will probably recognize this this good buddy of mine, Smile Direct Club. So, what it is, it's basically saying, you know, your teeth like they can get straighter, they can look better, and you don't have to pay a fortune for it. So they work directly with state-certified dentists and orthodontists to ship custom invisible aligners right to your door each month. So you don't have to go into the office, you don't have to have embarrassing wires, or frankly, wasting money. So you can get started with an impression kit, which is done in the privacy of your own home, at your own schedule for 95 bucks, and it's covered by the Smile Guarantee, so if your aligners are not a good fit, you get your money back. And not to mention, the treatment is extremely affordable. The aligner treatment is 60% less than other brands or braces, and you could save even more with insurance or a flexible spending account. Many dental insurance plans reimburse customers for a portion of the costs of invisible aligners, and Smile Direct Club accepts many FSAs, flexible spending accounts. I'm such a, I'm such a pro at this. <laughs> Anyways, listeners of this show can save 50% off the evaluation costs, so please go to smiledirectclub.com and use the promo code WORDS at checkout. That's smiledirectclub.com, promo code WORDS. And let me tell you, I've gone through this process. It's easy. It's painless. Their customer service is bar none. And it's it's great because you just you pop them in at night, you wake up, you take them out, and that's it. That's all you need to worry about. And uh, I've, I have absolutely noticed a shift in my teeth, and I'm like, oh, hey, like that, that looks really good. And frankly, this is something that I wouldn't have ever sought out to myself but now that I'm using it, I'm like, oh, wow, this is for everybody. Because if you get a person like me to do this, and I was maybe a little resistant to the idea, <laughs> for people who are even slightly curious about it, you will love this service. Smile Direct Club's the real deal. So smiledirectclub.com, promo code WORDS, and you'll save 50% off the cost of the at-home impression kit. So there you go. And enjoy a smile that will blind everybody. Well, maybe not blind, but you know, just be straighter, right? That's what we're all looking for. So, smiledirectclub.com, words, promo code. Now back to the episode. As you started to, uh, you know, tour and, and get used to that aspect of your life, did you, uh, you know, immediately like touring or was that something that you kind of learned how to become comfortable with? You know, um, that's a good question because I guess I immediately liked touring. I guess I didn't really... I didn't really think or not whether it was, didn't seem like a choice to me or it didn't seem like this should be something I should complain about. 
So I guess I never really, I didn't even think about it, to be honest, Ray. I, all I was thinking about was these shows, and, and of course, when we're breaking down at the side of the road, um, overheating every 15 minutes in the Rocky Mountains on our very first tour, mind you, uh, of course, we were thinking about touring, but we were just thinking about the van. So like everything presented itself in a way that was so urgent to us at the time that we did not have any time to really think about it. We just had to fix the problem. And there was always a problem. Right. Whether it was our, a, hole, a hole in our radiator, um, our, our temperature gauge busting, um, you, you know, whatever, right? You know, <laughs> tires, uh, everything's happened. Our engine's gone, uh, you know, blown up. Um, we were on tour with Rancid. Our engine blew up. We showed up like the show was already started. We didn't miss our set, though. But we had to literally buy a brand new van on tour. Which is the worst. They, yeah, <laughs> it, it is the worst because you never get what you what you want for the right price. So anyway, you know, it's just like now that I think about it, we we were we were doing, and I don't want to say it was as dangerous or as, as gnarly, but it's kind of like being out on on a on a combat mission where problems will present themselves. Your training hopefully will will uh, get you through that, but the, really we don't have any training because we're kids, and so it's just all about humans being intuitive and joining together as a team and, and just getting whatever it is done. Tumble Down, um, my, my other band, Tumble Down, mm-hmm. a lot of people don't know about them, but we, we did like touring from 2007 to 2012 or something like that. Yep. And we were in Mexico. Everything else had already gone wrong. Window busted, passport stolen, bunch of money stolen, gear, uh, you know, whatever. So we're we're at 2 a.m., it's like 2 or 3 a.m. in about two hours south of the border, um, Tucson. Tucson, uh, what's that? I don't know what the, um, what the Mexican city is. Juarez, Mexico, I think it is, or something like that. But I, I think I'm wrong, actually. I think Juarez is in is Juarez in Texas. Texas, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so whatever the Arizona version of that is, we're down, going over this. I'm driving. Everybody's sleeping. We're on our way to Culiacan. We have another full night. We have a, we're going to drive all night and all day and get there the, that evening to, and do the show that night. So I mean, we have a long drive ahead. All of a sudden, the semi passes us, and kind of just you know when something really heavy goes by and the wind pushes your car. Well, it pushed the van. We had a van, no trailer. <sighs> and it popped our tire and it popped the back uh, driver's side and we were on we were on a two lane highway so there was a passing lane and a, and a, dry, a regular right lane and then literally no lip like it just dropped down into a, a ravine like not like a death ravine but a ravine to where like you, you can't pull over and park anywhere so we parked on the road and we all like literally like a NASCAR pit team, I woke everybody up. Everybody else was sleeping. I'm like, guys, flat tire. We got to change this thing quick. We can't pull over. So we had our, we had our Mexican tour manager, Bernie, uh, flagging all the cars and, and big rig trucks so that they would get over. And then just in case, every time a car would come, we would get off the road and all stand just in case the van got plowed. And so here we are, like this pit crew, we got two guys on the tire doing the 
doing the uh, jack and doing the the whatever you know undoing the tire deadbolts and then the uh Bernie on the with a pillow and then a, a white a white pillow and waving it with a flashlight <laughs> and then I was like filming and like helping out with whatever they needed so like basically we got that tire changed in 10 minutes yeah. I would say probably 10 minutes with this you know having to take breaks when cars came by so that that was like the only thing that really broke broke us broke me you know like that's the only time I've had to like all right, guys, like one of our bass players said, uh, I think it's time for us to turn around and go home. And that's what I'm going to do no matter what. So I hope you guys decide to do that too. <laughs> like, all right, well, we, I don't want to split everybody up, so let's just go home. So we turned around and we, we went back to the U.S. But uh, that was like, it was a defeat. You know, it was a failure in a lot of ways because I've never had to do that. Um, but it's there's always something and there's always... You know, you hear stories about, you know, our tour manager, Bernie, from, from that tour was like, yeah, you know, I was on a tour once and there was a giant boulder in the middle of the road. So we had to stop. And when we stopped, road bandits came out and stole all our shit, all our cell phones, passports, everything. That was touring in Mexico. And so, like, we're touring in Mexico dealing with already passports having machine guns pointed at us sitting and waiting in the embassy for hours without you know we couldn't take our cell phones in with us you know so i'm like sitting here writing um i think the worst thing i lost sorry i've gone on a, a terrible tangent but the worst thing i lost was my journal i had a songbook in there mm. i had a, a full journal and a full songbook with tons of songs that were yet to be recorded so that's like the only thing I really regret about any of that is just losing some of those songs. So I'm like sitting in the, in the, um, in Tijuana, Mexico. This is before the tire incident, by the way. This is when we got our passports stolen. We had to get replacement passports. So Harley and I, our drummer, are sitting there waiting. And, and it's like that, that realization that you're addicted to your cell phone because you, there's nothing to do. Nothing. You're sitting, no cell phone, no nothing. Everybody else speaks Spanish, so that you can't even like listen in on conversations. Right. So I just picked up a piece of paper and I tr and I started like rem trying to remember lyrics from my songbook, and I wrote out a bunch of lyrics from one of this one of the songs I really was devastated about. And I and I I know it's probably different, but I'm still pretty happy with what I remembered, and that'll eventually come out as a song I'm sure but yeah it's just like all these things mushed together the failures and going back to your original question about touring um, humans learn pretty easily you know we were talking a little bit before about how we adapt pretty easily to a big cell phone versus a little cell phone right. where at first it's giant and then you go back to your little cell phone you're like this thing's tiny what it's the same thing with touring. I think, you know, you get used to touring in a van. You can do it. You just keep doing it. You get used to touring in a bus. You don't want to go back to that van. You know, you're accustomed <laughs> to first class. You know, you're riding business class. So, I mean, I've done all ways of touring. And for me, it's all about, um, it's about a balance of if you don't have any money, you can pretty much expect <laughs> to uh, to be in a van and to be 
slumming it. But that's not a bad thing either. I've done plenty of great fan tours, and sometimes those are the best tours because you see everything. You, if you're in the U.S., if you're in Europe, if you're in South America, whatever it is, you don't see anything if you're on a bus. You're just on the bus watching TV, on the bus on your computer, on your phone, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. If you're in a van, if you're driving, you know, you're forced to take stops, take rest stops, go to the gas station, go go to the cool food spots that are famous. I mean, I always look up cool food spots on the way. I mean, when I started touring, and, and this is the old man thing, you know, we didn't have shoes even, you know. Yeah, yeah you, <laughs> no you, cell phone. you walked uphill both ways, right, right. Exactly. It was always snowing. <laughs> but, uh, you know, no cell phone, no, there was, okay, here's something to think about. We always talk about how we couldn't Skype and we couldn't FaceTime our loved ones and our girlfriends back home and our family members. But that that's not even half of it. You couldn't just look up a map. You couldn't look, where's the next gas station? We've run out of gas a couple times <laughs> yeah. and we actually bought gas for $32 a gallon out in the desert one time because we were that desperate so I mean that is a huge thing you know just the fact that you have a resource that you can tap anytime if you've got cell signal boom we didn't have that so we did things the way we knew you know the only way we knew how which was making phone calls and keeping a few quarters up in the dashboard in the ashtray yep yeah no it's <laughs> Totally, totally. No, I, I appreciate all those those trains of thought and tangents just because I, I it is one of those things where, you know, touring is such a, a massive beast and anybody that hasn't participated in it on any level is, um, you know, it's kind of a foreign idea. It's like, it's just, it seems so disconnected and most people, you know, clearly like you were mentioning that, you know, it's like, oh yeah, you roll around in a bus, it's super glamorous and it's like, well, there's varying degrees of that and it's like, you just have to, you, you got to put, put it in perspective and yeah, I appreciate you doing that. Um, the two last things I want to hit on before I let you go was, you know, one, the, uh, you know, the idea, like once the band life and touring starts to, you know, die down, you know, I know a lot of people have trouble sort of transitioning into, you know, like what is the identity of myself if, you know, this band doesn't exist or the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm in front of people's faces all the time, you know, all that sort of stuff starts to, you know, jigger around in your head, no matter how large of a presence you may have in the music scene people start to be like oh yeah if i'm not touring like you know what what if i am not this you know if i'm insert name of band after your name you know if i'm not like you know if i'm not mike from mxpx like who am i um did you have any kind of you know uh, i i guess problems as you started to you know uh even injuring tumble down where it's like you know you were doing a different style of music there so um you know was that stuff that you struggled with in any capacity or did you kind of you know be able to manage it oh that's a good question uh you know that it's hard to say because i'm sure i have an ego in some ways but i really like going back to the chill thing I'm pretty chill when it comes to just talking to people and I've really I've really told myself over and over I'm no better than I'm no better than you I'm no better than you. And so when it comes to doing new music projects, I never expect. I it's all about it's all about just trying something new and yes it can be a bummer if like nobody shows up to your shows, but I I was I guess if I did expect anything, I expected Tumble Down to start small, and it did. And, you know, as people caught on, it got bigger and bigger. And, of course, it never was as big as MXPX. But um, I also wasn't 
I wasn't doing the same things that I do with MXPXM, but more to the actual psychology of it, I guess, I guess, you know, I, I've been, I've been talking to my base, I guess you could say base and get political, um, and I've never stopped. So even though MXPX has changed the way we tour, we're still out there all the time and we're still, um, we're not out necessarily in all the same circles as we used to be touring full time. But if you pay attention to MXPX, if you're a fan of MXPX, you can't get away from us unless you want to, you know? Right. So, so I guess that in that way, I haven't really, really experienced that because I, I get, I still get people co- constantly coming up to me in airports and, and I, I wouldn't, I haven't been in a mall lately, but malls and, uh, restaurants, anytime like, Oh, you know, I, I heard we have a celebrity here or whatever, you know, it's just like, what? Like <laughs> yeah. people are weird, right? People are weird. Right. So, so, uh, I, I get I get that sort of little ego boost. I I would say plenty. Plenty in life being just like a little little tiny sliver of I guess what you'd say a, a public person. Mm-hmm. But um you know when I when I do things non punk rock and people don't know who I am that's actually a cool thing. I think that's a I, I don't want to be treated differently or I just want to be treated I guess as respectfully as anybody else, right? Yeah. Like, of course, like when I'm on planes and back in the day, I got a lot of people talking behind my back about tattoos or maybe it was even flattering, like, oh my God, look at those guys' tattoos. Like, because <laughs> Yuri would always be behind us and he would, they wouldn't ever think he was with us. Right. So they would start, start talking. <laughs> totally. Hey, look, who's this nerd with all these tattoo guys? <laughs> yeah, so they would just assume that's a different guy. And so they would start talking about us or me, or whatever, and me or Tom, usually. Uh, and then Yuri would be like, yeah, those guys were uh, talking about your tattoos when you guys walked by. So, like, yeah, I, I I don't know. I think a lot of it is in my head. I know that people treat me differently that I work with sometimes, and it takes a really special person to, like, get to be the right person for me to work with um, so that I can be my silly self and they don't take it as don't do your work because it's strange because like either people take me like I'm a real big jerk and I'm a really hard boss or <laughs> I guess what I'm talking about is like with MXPX the crew and then with me doing studio stuff here right. as well but um, but I like to be really easy going with, with people I work with um, but at the same time I expect work to be done so it's like they it, it throws them off so it's like but I thought we were cool. <laughs> we are cool, but just get your stuff done. Right. You know, that, that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, so I, I don't know. It's, uh, I think I'm too easygoing and I like, I like to, um, always engage positively with people, uh, unless, unless they give me a reason not to. So for that reason, I'm, the, I, I'm not going to be the ego guy. If right. I go up and play, as long as, if I go up and the, I don't know, I just think, I think there's just never there's never a time where you should expect to have an audience that loves you. Um, even MXPX shows, I of course they love us, but I'm going in there with the attitude that I have to perform. I have to give them what they absolutely want and absolutely need. And this is going to hold them over till next time. And if I don't do that, there may not be a next time. So that's my attitude about everything. And so therefore, I don't think... 
I don't think I get, I don't get um, hurt when when people don't know about me right. or uh, <laughs> when I don't feel like I'm the center of attention. But I don't know. If anything, I've been taught. I've been taught that failure is a good thing, you know? <laughs> failure can be a great thing, and uh, we can learn from those failures. Yeah. Learn from, you know, there, there's a big one that happened last year in our organization. Not a public one, but just something that happened with one of our people, and, and we're just like, okay, how, how do we not make that happen again? How do we, the next person that comes along, let's make sure that it's solved, right? This problem. Or, or you know, this problem that, didn't have to be a problem in the first place if we would have communicated even better, right? Stuff totally. Like that. Yeah, yeah, no, it makes total sense. Um, and the last thing I want to touch on was, you know, clearly since you and I exist in the same exact space, not from a, only a musical perspective, but then the fact that, you know, we both, you know, are nerd podcast people. Um, you know, I, I mean, I'm guessing that the, um, the same sort of enjoyment that I get out of, you know, speaking to people like yourself is, you know, the reason why you still like to do it from a podcasting perspective because you know there there is that weird isolation of you know because like i mean you and i are talking and then i clearly i'm going to put this out as an episode and then you know i'll i'll hear from people being like oh that's a cool episode or you know maybe you sucked maybe you talk too much or whatever you know you, you get feedback from people but you know podcasting in and of itself is kind of an isolating experience um so you know i i don't know what sort of uh, itches that it scratches for you it in order to, you know, keep on keeping on. Yeah, that's great. I mean, the, I've been doing my career hour, I don't know, three years now, probably, if I had to roughly guess. And it's, for me, it was, I was inspired by other podcasts, like I was talking about earlier. <laughs> and I wanted to figure out a way to do something weekly as I realized, okay, MXPX is slowing down the amount that we're putting out music. Um, I don't think that that's a bad thing, but I do want to still be out there, right? So for me, a podcast was was solving a couple things. It was being able to create something new every week without actually having to write some crappy song. You know, like I feel like if I wrote a song every week, there's going to be some duds, right? So, <laughs> and just the fact that a podcast was was what I was getting into, was what I was doing with my spare time. I was using that as a tool to learn. So I was like, okay, I want to learn about this. Do they have a podcast about it yet? If not, then I'll do the traditional route. I'll go to YouTube. But if they have a podcast, then I can actually do something else while learning. I love cleaning. I don't love cleaning, but I love cleaning or organizing while I listen to a podcast. You know, whatever you're doing, right? So those were my first motivations. I was really into I was into political stuff I was into talking about politics um, once once Trump sort of started coming around I actually was already off politics and I just haven't really gone back there with the podcast but I really started out talking a lot more a lot more personal issues a lot more politics and then just as the podcast morphed into what do you guys like? What do you guys like? It just seemed like they kept telling me music. We like it when you have musicians on, uh, exactly like what I'm doing with your podcast. They like to hear about what, what, how people get things done, how they did this, what happened, uh, what happened with this situation, what are your plans? I mean, that's what they want to know because they're into music. So, I mean, that, as, as I sort of have done it you know, over the years, 
it's morphed into more of a how did you do this podcast, <laughs> which right. I like as well, which I, I like probably better than just talking about politics and talking because that got that got a little a little I don't know a little uh, a little much for me after a while and to be honest I'm just not the best at it right you need you need somebody that's going to do a little more homework and let's be honest that's not me (laughs) (laughs) sure but yeah, my career hour every Friday. If I, I guess I should plug it every Friday on Adobe Radio, it airs at eight p.m. East Coast, and that's five p.m. here on the West Coast. And then, and it becomes a, a podcast. And so, um, uh, I just had on. By the time this airs, I just had on Mark McMillan from Hawthorne Heights. He came by, came by, and we did it on the very last day of Warp Tour in Pomona. Nice. So that was cool. So yeah, he, he, those guys have an interesting story because they're doing everything DIY and they all kind of have their own job that they do that helps the band out. So they're much more proactive than I, than I realized. But yeah, I, I love the podcast and, and it's hard. It's hard to, to keep up with it, but having that sort of deadline that, that every week has to be out is the best thing for me because otherwise... I would not be doing it still. There's just no way. You know, left to my own devices, I would start something else. So right. that's <laughs> another great thing about the podcast. It's forcing me to, to be prolific and to keep going. Yeah, no, that's really cool. It definitely, yeah, it, it inspires you where it's just like, oh, yeah, like, yeah, this is what I'm doing every week, and it feels good. So, well, dude, thank you so much for hanging, man. I really appreciate the, uh, yeah, the, the, the weird places we went, but that's exactly what a podcast is for, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm constantly trying to very, very incrementally um, and not huge steps, but I'm constantly trying to tweak things. And that's one of the things that, that I always wondering, like, is this a good thing or a bad thing? And it always comes down to me, the guest and, and how good they are. I mean, because who cares what the topic is as long as you're listening to like Jamie Foxx or somebody like that, you know, people that are true entertainers that can tell a story or whatever. And, and I'm, I feel like I'm constantly trying to get better at that. Like I'm never, I'm never quite there. I'm always subpar, but, um, yeah, that's, that's why we keep doing it. We'll get there. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Eventually, eventually like 15 years into this, we might be just like suitable, mediocre. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) That's awesome. No, you're doing, you're doing well. (laughs) I'm talking about me. Oh, well, well, thanks man. I appreciate that. Boom. There it was. There was Mr. Mike Herrera hanging out on the show. And uh, thank you very much, Mike. And I also met his uh, co-conspirator on the podcast and all things MXPX, Tom. And uh, even though he didn't set this interview up, I got to know him after the fact. And uh, yeah, nice to meet you, Tom. And thanks for all the help uh, promoting this this episode. So that's that. Uh, like I said, next week is a cool episode where I do with my good friend Joey Cahill, who is the proprietor of 6130 on Records. We go deep on 2000s hardcore which it was a very interesting time and like we we didn't decide to focus on like the 2000s metalcore that started to explode around there we decided to focus on you know kind of your more traditional um you know quote unquote old school hardcore but they these bands were kind of putting a more modern flourish on it where it wasn't um you know as uh i guess basic as some of the bands were in the late 80s early 90s so um yeah we felt uh pretty good about that and uh the episode was awesome so that's why i decided to release it as its full-fledgedness 
and uh, not edit the bad boy down and just let it let it roll. So that's what's happening next week. And um, yeah, just be safe, everybody. Right. That's what I tell you at the end of every episode. And I truly do mean it. So until next week, please be safe, everybody. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.